Um, as he said, my name is Jeremy Athelt. Uh, we're from Maranatha. Um, that's my wife's faith and my brother Andrew and my dad, and Mace come. Thanks, Dad, for being here. Um, I wanted to speak this morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 14 to 21. Um, so it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. Um, as you're going there, uh, I'd like to say a little bit of, we're going to be talking about Christ's love for us. And that may seem somewhat of an elementary thing, but as my two-year-old asked me this week when we were singing Jesus Loves Me, why do we sing this song every night? And I said, so we remember. Because um, I think so often, and I know in my own life, I forget Christ's love for me. And that's something we can't forget, because once we forget that, we forget a host of other things that are important things for us to live by. So um, as we prepare, um, I'd like to pray, because nothing gets done without the Spirit of God. So let's pray this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Um, For everyone who's here, thank you for your love and your sacrifice, uh, for sending Christ to die in our place, um, for loving us and choosing us by sending your Holy Spirit to renew us and your love and your grace. God, I pray for, um, as I'm here, that you would use me to proclaim the truth of the gospel, uh, that that would then motivate us to go out and preach the word to others, to reconcile themselves to God on your behalf. God, we, our job is to purely to speak the love of Christ to a lost, dying, and hostile world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, we'd be in Second Corinthians, um, sorry about that, chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. Um, and I'm going to, if you would, please stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Please be seated if you would, and we're going to pray one more time. Um, Dear Father, we thank you again for your holy, perfect word. God, thank you that your Holy Spirit will do work with this word. We pray that we would learn more about Christ, show us our Savior, show us our Father, show how great you are and good you are and loving you are toward us. Open our eyes and ears to your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as I said, we'd be going through these verses. We're going to work somewhat backwards through the text and start in verse 21 because it's a very succinct message of what the gospel is. So reading in verse 21 again, For our sake he made him to be sin 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As I said earlier, the gospel is what needs to motivate us, control us. But what is the gospel? It's love of Christ coming and dying for us in our place. A death that we deserve to die, a death that we should have died, because we were against God. So for our sake, he, meaning the Father, made him, Christ, to be sin, my sin, your sin, those who are in Christ's sin, who knew no sin, who lived the perfect life, who obeyed every commandment, who did everything for the glory of God alone. He knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might or would become the righteousness of God. That's a quick summary of where we stood and how we got here now after being in Christ. That was the Father's and the Son's job for us. He sent him from eternity past, the Son who was wholly begotten of the Father, to come and die for sinners like me. But why did he do this? Because he loved us. Holy and simple and true is that. He loved us before the foundation of the world. And he chose us in his son to send his son to die for us so we would become his sons and daughters. Not That word might there seems a little bit wishy-washy, like, oh, you might become a son. But no, that we would. That we would be in him from eternity past to eternity present. That there's a moment in time as we get back in a second to where Christ died where that salvation is applied, where the love is seen as truly loving, and we become sons and daughters, God's righteousness, his heirs, as it talks about in the book of Galatians, from enemies to family sitting at the table. That is what Christ did. And that's something in the Christian life we need to be reminded of constantly, isn't it? Don't we forget that day to day? We forget how lost we were and how found and secure we are. From here, we're going to go back, reading through 16 through 20, because it's going to tell us more about our old self and our new self, from where we were to where we are, and then motivates us to do something. So the gospel and his love changes us from a bad stance, bankruptcy, to being holy heirs, princes, princes, kings, and queens in Christ. But then we're supposed to do something with that. So reading back through verse 16 through 20, we're going to read, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for God, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Starting out in verse 16, as you see, it says, from now on, meaning a point in time. This is a definite moment where we transition from who we were to who we are. 
If you'd like to read more about this, reading Romans 4 through 6 gives a good idea of who we were in Christ, or before Christ, and who we are after Christ. Um, before Christ, we are warring, hostile in mind. As it, in Colossians 1, 21 through 22 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That is who we were before Christ came. And yet Christ loved us and came for us. With that, it says we regard no one according to the flesh. That means anything external. Our external stations in life, our wealth or lack thereof, our careers or lack thereof, our relationships or lack thereof, every good work we regard as nothing compared to what we are after Christ. Anything external. Even how it says here, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul, the apostle speaking this, Paul who was warring against Christ himself, who was actively persecuting the church, had a regard for Christ before his salvation moment, before Christ called him by name and said, why are you persecuting me? And now he regards him that way no longer. Thinking of it another way, the rich man who came to Christ, as we learn about in the Gospels, who said, good teacher. That's all he called him. That's how we regard Christ and God in the flesh. We all have a regard for Christ according to the flesh. What that is, I can't say for everyone, but we regard him thus, and we are enemies of him in that stance. Everything we've done, as Paul alludes to in Romans 6, um, was filthy rag to Romans 10, I'm sorry. No matter what we've done before Christ means nothing in the sense of eternity. And that's what he's talking about. We are now going to view everyone and everything and the impact of what the internal ramifications are. My wife is not just a person who has how many years on this earth, but someone who will live for eternity. My kids, Micah and Maddie, they're young now. They will live for eternity. Your coworkers, neighbors, family, friends, we regard them all in eternal consequences. We have to, because that's how we have to review Christ. Christ, who was eternally begotten, now gave us the stance and showed us that we have everlasting life. And that life will never end, either in communion with God or as eternal warring enemies of God. So we regard him thus no longer. In verse 17, it goes on. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is one of my favorite verses. And I often forget it. If anyone is in Christ. Look at the generalness of that sentence. Anyone can come to Christ. Anyone. Our job, as we're going to read about going on as ambassadors, is just to preach the word. It's the Spirit's job to change the heart. To be truthful to the text. To preach love. To preach his sacrifice. And to trust God to do the rest. So anyone is in Christ, meaning anyone who's bowed the knee to Jesus, who's received that gift of grace on their behalf, the payment we can never do, is a new creation. That word new 
It's different than just getting a new toy or trinket. Think of it as Genesis 1, God creating everything new. Or in John 3, it talks with Nicodemus, a rebirth, a baby being born is new. That's how new we are at Christ when he comes into our hearts. When we receive that grace, it says here, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. The old, that word, think of the word, it comes from the word archaic, meaning like crumbling civilizations. Archaic, dead texts, languages we don't even use anymore. That's what we are after Christ. We transition from old, dead, dying to new, living, breathing creations who are actually able to love as Christ loved. That is what we have in Christ. So in Christ, we have this newness. In 1 Corinthians, he has a phrase, he has this list in verse 6 through 10 about who we used to be, swindlers, liars, thieves, just a list. And we can see our sins in that. He says, you were then washed, made clean, justified, made right, and sanctified, made holy. We are holy in Christ. It says in the rest of 1 Colossians 1, after it says, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, his children, holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Who doesn't want those things said about them? And not only that, you are being told that by the holiest of holies, the most good and gracious God, who's extremely just and true and will never change. Your stance will never change because he doesn't change. And that's the beauty of it. No matter what I have done or will do, once I'm in Christ, I am a forgiven, loved new creation in Christ alone. My job is just abide and faithfully obey. So moving forward, as if that wasn't great enough. All this is from God, in verse 18, who through Christ, his son, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 18, it says, all this is from God. It wasn't from me. It wasn't from you. We add nothing to our own salvation, as it said, except for the sin that made it necessary. It's a gift. If you read in Romans 5 through 6, it mentions the word gift about six times. It's a free gift, it says, meaning I can never earn it. And honestly, as we've read other places, I would never earn it. I would never want to until we've seen the love of Christ and his reconciliation on our behalf. Through these verses, it says reconciliation or reconciled five times. It's a pretty big word. We don't think often, we think reconciliation. We just think two people probably arguing, a little tiff. I didn't throw my socks in the hamper, um, something like that. But no, these are two cosmic, boring factions. 
If you know history, Axis and Allies in World War II, or Americans and the Soviets in the Cold War. More recently, you can think Thanos and the Avengers, if that's better for you. But these are cosmic beings at odds with each other. And even that doesn't compare since the divide is way greater than that because God is infinitely holy and just and true. We are not. We are actively warring against him. We needed Christ to reconcile us on our behalf, to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. And once we are in Christ, once we are reconciled to God, made right, peace, at peace with God. None of our trespasses are counted against us. Not a single one. Like I said earlier, we are new creations. In the book of Isaiah, it mentions us being blotted out. Ezekiel says in chapter 36 through 37, we are given new hearts and new affections. You see, in our newness, we now have new passions and desires. Our old passions and desires, our plans, may not in themselves we think would be sinful, but they were attempts to build something apart from God. And as we've already said, that makes them filthy rags and needing to be changed. My plans, once I am a Christian, my thoughts, what I do today, why I go to work, why I came here this morning, the privilege to preach before you guys, was to preach this good news of a newness we have in Christ, the love we have in Christ. That's what it says here in verse 20, we, in 19, the end. We are entrusted with a message. We are ambassadors. And ambassadors don't stay in one place. An ambassador gets sent out, mostly to nations that really are at odds to a degree, once peace treaties have come. And our job is then to preach to a hostile world this ministry of reconciliation that my job and your job in Christ is to use whatever gifts we've been given to proclaim that love. Like I said earlier, my, my son, who's two, I don't think he really understands what Christ's love is, but I'm going to sing it every night that Jesus loves him. Because even as an adult, I need to remember that today. Because I so easily forget the world with its passions and all the fleetingness and all the craziness going on we need to have a firm foundation and anchor in Christ alone as our salvation, our security. And with that also comes a motivation as ambassadors to go out and preach. To teach that there is reconciliation in Christ alone. That through faith in him and his sacrifice we can be justified to the God who created you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He does. What that looks like, I cannot say, but you've been given a job that is wonderful, and that's to be an ambassador. You've been appointed by Christ in his newness in you, and his death for you, and his payment for you, and his raising from the dead for you. As he sits enthroned in heaven, we are told to go proclaim that message to your coworkers, people on the streets. And that's why we also, as Paul says here, we regard them no longer according to the flesh because they are eternal. They have an eternal resting place. 
So our job as ambassadors has an eternal ramification to preach this message. But how do we preach this message? Going back through verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. As it says there, what controls, what motivates us but the love of Christ, his infinite, unrelenting, undeserved love for you. That's what motivates us. And controls, some people will use the text restrains, but it's more of a positive pushes you, constrains you, drives you, that every second of our life from here on out as a new creation that has been reconciled is supposed to be driven by this unrelenting love of our Savior for us. And I pray every day, and I know I don't, that I wake up in the morning going to work remembering that fact. That when I wake up with my, my kid who's been up all night, that my job as a dad is to show him the love of Christ. Because without that love, I can't do anything. I can't love him well. I can't even work to the best of my abilities in my job without the love of Christ. That love is what motivates us. It's what controls us and grips us and moves us to act. It has to. Because everything else in this world that motivates us is passing away. Wealth, health, it's all fleeting. But Christ's unrelenting, undeserved, perfect love will never fade. His affection for you, unlike our affection for him, will never fade. And that's why it says the love of Christ, meaning his love for us, not my love for him, controls me. It has to start there. Because in John 15, 13, and actually 1 John 4, 19, it says we love because he first loved us. We don't even know how to love until we're new creations. Our love is selfish, not truly kind. But in Christ, we have this ability. It secures us and motivates us to a new hope that is eternal. So, Christ's love controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In John 15, 13, one of the last nights Paul or Jesus has with his disciples he says to them greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends that is the concrete love of sacrifice if you read through Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians 13 it mentions what love truly is kind and a whole host of other things faithful and true and hopeful gentle faithful that's Christ's love and that is most assuredly shown when he lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died and was raised and enthroned in heaven. That is love. Love is sacrifice. And not sacrifice out of selfish ambition, but for Christ and through Christ. Reading another passage in Colossians 3, it says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is, I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ 
who lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of Man, Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. As I said earlier, it's for our sake that the Father sent the Son to be my sin to die for me. That love controls us and motivates us to go out and tell a lost, dying, and hostile world. Jesus' last recorded words to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18-20 are a furthering of this ambassadorship you've all been given and called to do. Jesus, as he's, after he's been raised and been with them 40 days, is just going up into heaven and saying on the crowns where he sits enthroned right now, ruling and calling us to show this world his love. He says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. He tells his disciples, the eleven, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Christ told us to be ambassadors, just like Paul did. And why? Because he loved us and he wants others to experience that love. So today, first off, remember Christ's love for you. If you are in him, remember you are a new creation, that you are sustained and secured eternally in that love. Nothing can change that. Now go out and tell the world the good news. Let's pray if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Christ who came and died the death I deserve to die. Lord, I pray that as we go out, you'd remind us of your love daily. The first thing we do when we would wake up is to remember your love for us. Also, you remember your love for your people. God, help us to go out and be ambassadors today, motivated and controlled by that love and motivated and controlled by nothing else in this world that's fleeting and passing. Lord, your word never fails and will always do its part to bring people to repentance. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we go out, keep us healthy and strong. Thank you. You are loving and kind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.